The reading this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. can be found on the Pew Bibles on page 1176. Page 1176. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alistair. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And uh, um, if you haven't been with us for a while or you're visiting, we're, we're... I'm going through um, the latter chapters of Ephesians, and we've come to Ephesians chapter 5. You might like to have it open uh, in front of you at page 1176. And uh, verse 3 um, begins with a but. I don't know whether you you noticed it there. It it says uh, at at the beginning of verse 3 the word but. I just want to say a few words about this. And the the verses before the, the but... Um, are, are very positive language, aren't they? They're the very positive language. If you're, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you're dearly loved. Children, it says. It's the language of being in God's family. It's about acceptance. It's about forgiveness. Uh, it talks about it being a fragrant offering, God giving his son. It's sweet smelling. It's beautiful. It's magnificence. It's a joy. And then you get this abrupt, this kind of abrupt kind of buck comes in and you get a very different kind of atmosphere don't you to the passage it's all about do this don't do that it's about wrath there's a, about uh, wrath for disobedience it's kind of dirty and gritty and we're left asking how are these two um, parts compatible how are they compatible let's just take a moment to pray before we begin God our father we thank you for your word to us and we pray now that we will hear it and receive it, that it may change us into the people you want us to be, to be imitators of you. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, you've got an outline um, in the notices uh, sheet. You might find that useful um, to, to help. There's a few questions on there as well. Um, but let me just make a few observations more about this, this language of the, the but here in, in the middle in verse 3. Uh, what I want to say is that unless you and I see there's both a positive and a negative to our Christianity, unless you see both of those, 
um, will actually be in, in great danger. You see, often, um, partly based, I think, particularly on our temperaments, we choose one or other, a positive approach or a negative uh, approach. The, the negative um, saying, uh, sometimes some people are all positive and um, never negative in the sense that they say, well, God loves you just as you are. He accepts you just as you are. Claim your acceptance. God is not wrathful. He is love. Because it's not untrue. But if it's all positive without any of the, the, the negative, what will happen? It will, it will turn you into a, into a shallow person. Your faith will be in danger of being ankle deep because you don't see the need. We won't see the need to turn away from destructive behaviours in our lives. But then again, um, we, might be the, we might be all negative um, and no positive, the, the opposite danger. All you hear is repent, repent, repent. You're a dirty sinner, you're unclean. How could God ever love me? We might finish up same. And again, it says it's not untrue. We, we are filthy sinners, and yet you can fall into a permanent state of feeling unworthy. That somehow you deserve, you, you know, you just deserve a good kicking kind of thing. You can fall into that too. And, and you totally miss the point that that godly grief, grief over our sin, leads to repentance, that leads to forgiveness, that leads to acceptance, that leads to joy in God. So, so I want to just start off by saying that. and Beware, beware of, of this, this uh, being one or the other. And, and to some degree, we all tend to live on one side or the other of the but. Okay? We tend to lead on one side or the other. Let's think, first of all, though, about the positive, as dearly loved children. Verse 1, be imitators of God. We're all hardwired to model ourselves after somebody. Those of you involved, um, I'm sure many of you involved in child development will know, the most powerful apparatus in the human psyche exists to help us learn is the ability to imitate, to mimic our parents and those around us. We need somebody to copy. It's true in child development. It's true in many walks of life. But all, the, all of these ways of, of imitating have to be a penultimate model because there is an ultimate model, according to the Bible. It's God, isn't it? Imitation of God is ultimately what it means to be a Christian, actually. We're not trying to be good for goodness' sake. Uh, No, we're seeking to be like God in our walk with Christ. A a bit like a a, a mirror, we reflect what we are facing. Um, And, of course, the trouble is, is that often we're facing something or Someone that is not God, modeling ourselves after other things. When we put our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit turns us towards God. He reorientates us to God. So that means we're facing Him now. And that's the beginning of the Christian walk. So, how do we start to imitating God? It seems like a daunting prospect. 
Well, in a sense, I want to suggest that we need to start by pretending. I mean that in in a positive sense. We need to pretend. Think about it like this. A child grows how? A child grows by pretending he or she is something she is not. A, A little boy becomes a man by pretending he's a man. By seeking what dad does. Sometimes it's quite destructive, you know, those I remember as a small boy, or as a, um, going into adolescence, trying to shave and, uh, <laughs> you know, pretending to shave where I had nothing to shave. Um, but there's that kind of sense. The Bible is saying a big part of growing as a Christian is to say, I'm not like him, but I'm going to pretend to be like him. I'm going to dress like him. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, I had, some of you might know, I had a night, an overnight in Lewisham Hospital last week, which was a delight. And (laughs) when the registrar um, came round in the morning, he brought a whole load of student doctors, and I thought, oh great, (laughs) who all had a good look at my throat through a a camera down my nose, and and, uh, had a good look at my throat infection I had. Now, how do they become a doctor, those student doctors? How do they become a doctor? Well, in a sense, they're pretending to be doctors, aren't they? I'm sorry to say, but that's what they are. They're pretending to be a doctor. They're copying the registrar, aren't they? They're not doctors. I could definitely tell you they were not doctors um, by the amount of blood. But in the same way... (laughs) But in the same way, we're supposed to imitate, we're supposed to pretend, we're supposed to dress up. In, in, it's very important, isn't it, to change. That's how you change into, into what you are. Verse 1 continues with the motivation now. It says we're dearly loved children. You and I will be able to imitate God um, to the degree that you think of and recognize that we're adopted into God's family. I mean, this is one of the most beautiful things about um, being a Christian, isn't it? When we become Christians, when we receive Christ as our saviour by faith, God transfers all of Jesus' record and status into your account and he treats you as if you were Jesus. That's what it, what it means to become a, a, a Christian. And in, if you think about that, in, in a sense, who's pretending now? God, in a sense, is pretending that you are Jesus, isn't he? Uh, he's looking at you and he's pretending that you are Jesus. He's being kind to you as he would be kind to Jesus. He is honouring you as he would honour Jesus. He is loving you as he would love Jesus. Now, it might sound, for a moment, does that sound ridiculous or far-fetched? But no, it's not far-fetched. Because, again, if you think about it, this is how we actually raise our children, isn't it? You think about a child who is just one years old. They only have, what, maybe ten words of vocab. Um, uh, Do you, therefore, only speak to them with those ten words? Of course, you don't do that. Uh, 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 no, you, you talk to them in sentences. Would you like some cake? 
Do you need your nappy changing? Oh, this is going to become very real again, isn't it? I can't. Uh, well, what will the child say? Well, the child's not going to respond. Yes, please. Thank you very much. You know, they're going to babble back to you. It's going to be a little bit incomprehensible. You treat him or her as if he's older than he is. You pretend. That's the way for them to develop. In other words, God is pretending you are like Jesus. He's pretending in a very real and vivid way that you're beautiful. And that's how you get beautiful. He's pretending you're lovable. And that's how you become lovable. That's the gospel. The gospel is God treating The gospel is God treating believing sinners as if they've done everything that Jesus had ever done. And so you you and I need to pretend we're Jesus too. That's how we change. That's how we grow up into what we are. It's very, very important for us. We're sons and daughters of the living God. We haven't got time to dwell on it much, but you might like to go and look at Hebrews 2 at some point. It tells us that that Jesus becomes our brother when we put our trust in him. He's, he's our brother. He is the brother you and I really need. In verse 2 it says, He loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The degree to which you and I dwell on that, on being part of God's family, or being adopted into his family, exhibiting the likeness the family likeness. Um, that's the thing that will change us to imitate God. To... So I really encourage us to go ahead, be positive, mimic God, pretend to be God in that sense, <laughs> to be like Jesus. Very positive. And that's the positive, but then there's the negative here, isn't there, in this passage. To do away with impurity. It's quite sobering, really. Verses 3 to 7. A little um, boy's mother had just baked some biscuits and placed them in a, in a biscuit tin, giving clear instructions that no one's to touch, no one's to touch the biscuits until after dinner. But it was not long before she heard the rustle of the tin lid, the rustle of the tin lid, and she called out. Edward, Edward Fraser Austin Longmas Gracefield, what are you doing? (laughs) To which a little voice used to say, my hand is in the biscuit tin resisting temptation. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the fact is, I probably don't need to say any more. No one can resist temptation with his or hand, as it were, in the biscuit tin. The truth is that there are, there are, and there are open biscuit tins all around us in this world. And keeping our hands out of the biscuit tin is a great challenge for all God's children. And Paul now addresses that problem These verses are hard-hitting. We must bear in mind first, though, that he was addressing the church, the visible church, the Christians who had come to Christ while living in one of the most notoriously most notorious port cities 
of Ephesus. In that metropolis, the dominant religion was the worship of a multi-breasted goddess called Diana. A ritual prostitution was the norm, the normal way of life. There was a cultural of acceptance of sexual um, perversion as a valid way of life. Ephesus could be anywhere, any big city in the West today, couldn't it? It could be London. And Paul cuts right in here. After the positive with that but in verse 3, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or, or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Paul says there must not even be a hint. And later he says in verse 12, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. You see, yes, we must call evil evil. We must call sin sin and call it out. But we are not to continue to rake over it. But refrain from gossiping about it. Because we have to be very, very careful. Because even in the gossiping of it, we're actually raised to it. And the temptation. And Paul's instruction is to avoid even small compromises. Should teach us much about how sin progresses and how to overcome it. You know, the reality is the journey for, for many people, and I've seen this many times, the journey for people finding yourself in the wrong bed is made up of thousands of small decisions taken over a period of time. You don't accidentally one day just finish up in the wrong bed. It's made over a period of time. You know, it starts off with maybe just a casual meet after, um, after work for a drink. It, it, it then moves into texting each other um, over a period of time. And then those texts turn inappropriate and so on and the hand is already in the biscuit tin isn't it what are we going to do what must we do it tells us here really it says to starve it it's about starvation is required so you know we have to take desperate action in this area if the mobile phone in your pocket is causing you to stumble Get rid of it. Do something about it. Get some accountability. Talk to people. Pray to God. This is no laughing matter. Paul is taking it very seriously. This is a matter, of course, of life and death. Do not underestimate the power of sexual immorality. Paul continues the challenge Regarding the purity of our speech, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. Good humour and merriment are, are a positive thing, aren't they? The, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says that there is a time for laughter. Ecclesiastes says that. Um, medically, I, I'm told, it is good for us to laugh. Um, I wasn't laughing when I was in hospital, but... <laughs> Um, we're to, it's like doing inner jogging. 
um, apparently, a laugh diet. Crude joking, though, can appear at first to give a kind of similar effect, a bit of a buzz for us, but it's actually poison to our soul. If this is part of our lives as God's children, our hand is in the biscuit tin again. And if that is so, we must put it out. We must pull it out. And it gives us something to replace it with, doesn't it? Paul says in verse 4 to replace it with thanksgiving. Think about thanksgiving. Think about all the things that you can give thanks to God for. Because there are so many blessings in God. The reason for all these clear, straight-down-the-line prohibitions from Paul is seen finally in verses 5 and 6. For this you can be sure... No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. This is chilling stuff, isn't it? The reason for all this is because it's about our, our salvation. It's about heaven and hell. It doesn't matter how you construct this. The truth is, if we continue in lust and idolatry and greed, we will not enter the kingdom of God. No unrepentant sinner has eternal life. Do Christians fall into these sins? All the time. We do, don't we? Of course we do. But true Christians will not want to persist in it. You will not want to persist in it. For persistence in sensuality is evidence of a graceless state, of cheap grace. that You don't know what it costs Jesus Christ to die for you. A repentance-less Christianity. Paul says we're not to be deceived. Don't be deceived by empty words, by people who might say it doesn't matter because it does matter. It's a matter of life and death. Yet there is hope. Just as Paul says at the end of another passage in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 11, after giving a whole list like this one, Um, here in Ephesians of sensuality and greed, he says, he says to the Christians, and such were some of you, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And we should cry hallelujah. Friends, there, there are biscuit tins all around us. Um, We must not uh, deceive ourselves. We see the misery of those who feed on them. What are we to do? Well, in the negative, verse 7 is very clear. Therefore, do not partner with them. Have nothing to do with them. Starve them. That is the only way. We must not join in even if it means that we have to be ostracized or rejected at times. But positively, remember where we began. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Know that you are dearly loved. Imitate Jesus. Pretend to be Jesus in a sense. Ask, what if I was Jesus? What would Jesus do in this situation? And let's pray.